Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with a Wednesday Night Wars edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back to talk all things AEW coming out of Revolution and all things NXT in what was one of the best TV shows in the history of the brand as NXT set itself up for a huge event coming up in April. Not only that, this is the one-year anniversary of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, and I'm glad to have you all along for the ride. Now, technically, technically speaking, Tuesday was the one-year anniversary of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I just didn't realize it while I was taping the show, so I figured better a couple days late than ever to announce and basically let you all know we have been around for one calendar year. Every single episode of this podcast has been taped in the exact same location due to quarantine, though I do hope that changes soon as I do have some travel plans in the month of April for work as safe as possible. But I just wanted to take a moment and thank you all for listening to the show, doing everything you can to drop those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts to let people know how much you love the show and tell your friends and family and all the good stuff that you guys have done over the years, um, over the year, I should say. I also want to thank you guys for following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I say it every episode. I know it gets repetitive. You get a little bit tired of it. But look, once we grow to a level where I don't need to keep asking and telling people these things, I will stop. I absolutely promise you. Uh, we'll, we'll cut down on those requests. But I do appreciate all of you for listening to the shows, following us, dropping those reviews. And for all of you who contributed to the show financially at the very beginning, you know, I didn't do a Patreon. I didn't do any of those types of things to quote unquote raise money. Uh, but many of you kind of just out of the kindness of your hearts and, and being fans and listeners uh, donated money to the show so that way I could get the equipment needed to have the sound the way it sounds. And I know it's still not perfect. There's things I want to do. I want to get a better soundboard and some, you know, enhanced features. I want to start doing live shows for you guys and a lot of other things. I've tried to fulfill many of the requests that came in. For those of you who, you know, sent in certain amounts of money, you guys had requests such as the 100th episode special that I did with Brian Campbell and Nick Costos and, and some of the other special shows that we've done. Uh, I'm trying to fulfill all of those wants and requests and needs. I know there were still some that I haven't actually followed through with, but I'm still working on how to do live shows, how to do live chats, things like that. It's difficult. There's not really a great platform. Um, you know, some of you use Clubhouse, some of you use the Locker Room app, but I can't seem to get everyone on the same page to agree, this is where we want to hear you live, you know, ahead of pay-per-views or things like that. Um, you know, maybe we'll do Twitch, maybe we'll do YouTube. I am looking into doing an audio-only Twitch, which I know you can access via the web, via app, and that way, maybe we'll start doing some live pre-shows ahead of pay-per-views and maybe even like Wednesday nights. Maybe we'll do a live 30-minute show at 7.30 uh, right before the show start to kind of answer questions and talk through some stuff. But I don't know. There's a lot on the horizon. I'm excited that you all are along for the ride. And I won't take up much more time because I know the main reason you want to listen to today's show is to actually hear me talk about NXT and AEW. But this week, you're getting some extra on this show. Not only are we going to talk NXT and AEW, we're going to talk about NXT UK and what I believe was the best women's wrestling match so far of 2021. And at the end of the show, I got a special 
DM request. I guess uh, last week or on Tuesday show, I don't even remember when I said it, uh, but I mentioned I had a newsletter, wrestling newsletter when I was growing up. And I was asked numerous questions about this by multiple people, but one listener basically asked all the questions in a single DM. So I will read his DM at the end of the show and answer all of your questions about my old newsletter. But first, we're going to talk about the Wednesday Night Wars and the two big shows that went down this week along with NXT UK last week. We're going to start, as we always do, with NXT, which on Wednesday night, I already said it once on this show, it put on arguably the best episode of NXT that we've ever seen, whether you're talking about TV or whether you're talking about on the network. Now, I'm not comparing it to a takeover. And yes, I know immediately what you're going to say. Wait a minute. Halloween Havoc, Great American Bash. I'm not talking about special episodes. For a normal weekly episode of TV without a slogan, without anything special going on, this may have been the best ever episode. It was entertaining from start to finish. There was big news. There were big results. There were surprises, multiple surprises. It just, it was two hours of incredible wrestling television. Dare I say, it's the best wrestling TV episode so far of 2021. That's how much I liked NXT this Wednesday. So let's get started. Let's talk about William Regal's two game-changing announcements. That's how the show began. The first is NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver will be a two-night special with the first night airing Wednesday, April 7th on USA Network and the second night Thursday, April 8th on Peacock. Tremendous announcement. A two-night takeover is something I thought I would never see. I personally regret that as of right now, I'm not going to be in town for it because, man, I would love to have gone. A two-night takeover, SmackDown, and a two-night WrestleMania, that's five sick nights. Plus, you got the Raw after on Monday. You got the Hall of Fame and the Raw before. WWE, as of right now, is going to do eight or nine consecutive nights of shows with four of them being takeover and WrestleMania. That's absolutely incredible. Um, You know, at this time, my plan is to be in Augusta, Georgia for the Masters. And that's it. I mean, I love the Masters and I love golf and I love wrestling. It's an impossible call. But wrestling is something that will always be there. The Masters is one of those things where it's like you only get so many opportunities to actually go. So that is where why I'm doing that. But holy crap, two night takeover just a couple hours from my house that it actually hurts me inside to not be able to go to that. Now, as far as what's going to happen on this show, I don't know. My hope is that we see NXT UK extensively involved because it would certainly help fill out the event. For example, what I would love to see is them almost take a page out of New Japan's playbook. And on night one, let's say we have Finn Balor against Karrion Cross. I don't expect Finn Balor to win that match. That's a conversation for another day. But let's say he did the winner of that match faces Walter on night two and a champion versus champion, non-title match, but just a big match that people are going to want to see. And you can do the same thing where you have uh, Io Shirai defend the title on night one, and then she fights Kaylee Ray. Uh, The winner of the women's match fights Kaylee Ray on night two. So I don't know what they're going to do, if they're going to go that way, or if they're just going to really book an extremely strong card and put four matches on TV Wednesday and four or five matches on Peacock on Thursday. Either way, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait for it. It was a big time first announcement. The second announcement is that NXT now has branded women's tag team championships and William Regal named Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez 
as the first champions after being screwed out of the WWE titles last week. So I did get multiple DMs about this. And Eldred Ryan at Acme, A-K-M-E Tunes, he came in tweeting, I get why they put the titles on them, but I don't like when titles are handed to people. And I agree generally with that. I'd have preferred the match on the show to be for the titles, but the storyline is that Dakota and Raquel already beat Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon. They beat him clean during the tournament, and they basically already beat the current WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. What I hate about the storyline is actually not the NXT part, it's the WWE part. They barely mentioned it Friday on SmackDown. They didn't mention it at all on Monday night. So in kayfabe, Adam Pearce is like a heel in NXT who screws over Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez, and at no point does he ever explain why. At no point does he ever say, well, these are women's titles and they shouldn't be in NXT, or I was just trying to help. You know, maybe he can play dumb. But th- there was, they just never gave a resolution to that part of the storyline. Instead, Regal just, his decision was to create new titles. Now, having the titles isn't bad, but there are a lot of titles in NXT. There's three men's titles right now. Sorry, there's four men's titles right now. And now there's two women's titles. I think the women's division in NXT, more than any other, including the Raw and SmackDown roster combined, is best equipped to support women's tag team titles. So I don't dislike that they have them. I just don't love how it went down. And if it was me booking, I just would have had them win the women's tag team championships and have them do an excursion in NXT for four, five, six months, and then bring them back to the main roster. It gets the NXT people exposure. It gives people from the main roster who don't watch NXT reasons maybe to go and watch NXT. It just seems like it was a missed opportunity and an unnecessary duplication of a title when the initial idea of those titles was great. Now, look, maybe they take a lesson from this and they do the same thing with the men's tag team titles where they combine them into one and they have them both across Raw and SmackDown. There's been no indication that they're going to do that, but that's something we've wanted for a long time. So is this best case scenario? No, it's not best case scenario. But is it bad? No, it's not bad. I mean, NXT ultimately, the end of the day, is getting women's tag team championships. And that's something that, like I said, they can support better than any other women's brand in North America right now. So it's well-deserved. You saw the lineup of women's tag teams when they made the announcement. It was significant. So I'm excited that they're there. And we got a barn burner of a first match with the titles on the line, Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez defending against Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart on the same show they were given the titles. So Moon got the hot tag and showed that she continues to develop really unique offense. She had a springboard code breaker on Gonzalez, then Blackheart drilled her with a tope suicida through Moon's legs. The champions hit an assisted coda kick, then Gonzalez flipped Moon over her shoulder by her jaw into some powerbomb type of move that I've just never seen before. It was crazy. Uh, Blackheart was next with a tremendous hot tag. Both she and Moon nearly pinned Kai on different occasions. The momentum really turned in the match, and it felt like as it was getting later that we were definitely going to get a title change. Gonzalez was taken out with a modified stunner, but she caught Ember Moon's eclipse in midair, which again is something I've never seen anyone do before, and was trying to dump her over the top rope when Blackheart pushed Kai into Gonzalez, sending her and Moon outside. And Dakota Kai was so shocked that it happened that Blackheart was able to fold her over and completely bend her back. Great cover. 
for the one, two, three, for the faces to take the titles. So there's arguments to be made about giving the titles to a team and then changing those titles on the same night. But personally, I loved it. It was totally unpredictable. If NXT had just put the titles up in the match, that almost would have taken more steam out of Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. Instead, they at least got the honor of being the champions and they simply got beat in a fantastic match that was exceedingly entertaining from bell to bell. The only negative was a lot of us fans have been waiting for Dakota Kai to be a champion in NXT for years and she finally got it and her reign lasted less than an hour. So that's a slight you know, detriment to this happening. The new champions... Uh, hugged each other backstage. They got a standing ovation and hugs from the entire division, except the way after the match. And it looks like they're going to probably wind up being the challengers for TakeOver. Uh, Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae, seemingly against Shotzi Blackheart and Amber Moon. But this was a great presentation of the women's tag team division, a great presentation of the titles. This was one of the best women's matches of the year. We got a couple other really good ones in that women's Dusty Rhodes tag team classic. We got another really good women's match, which I'm going to talk about momentarily on this show. And we got the best women's match of the year in NXT UK, which we will talk about on today's episode. So let's move on to that other great women's match from Wednesday. Io Shirai defending her NXT Women's Championship against Tony Storm. Started slow, but it picked up in a major way. Shirai hit a perfect moonsault to the outside. Storm grabbed the champion off the top rope twice for a superplex and a sit-down powerbomb. Shirai hopped to the top rope, but missed a moonsault. And Storm came back with her Storm Zero finisher, but Shirai kicked out at 2.5. Storm missed a flying headbutt, and Shirai caught her with a crossface, which is an interesting sequence when you can think about a flying headbutt followed by a crossface. But I digress. Uh, But she got her in the crossface, and Storm tapped. Fantastic match. It was a bit shorter than I wanted or expected. And I'm actually surprised that NXT on this show had so many other short segments and didn't just go with longer matches. I was also surprised it finished the way it did, but it was a total banger of a match. Top two or three women's match of the year in North America. I don't watch stardom, so I can't really compare to that. Uh, And I say top two or three because we're going to talk about that number one match later on the show coming up soon. I was all ready to sit here and talk about what's next for Io Shirai, considering she overcame the woman that she's never beaten in Tony Storm. And with TakeOver coming up in less than five weeks, The choice was obvious, Raquel Gonzalez. And I was worried that with them being champion, which is the first thing that happened in the show, we wouldn't get to it. But NXT got us right to it. Kai and Gonzalez were furious in the locker room after losing the titles when Shirai walked up and challenged Gonzalez, the champion challenging the challenger. This has been the match to make for a while in NXT. Now, if you remember, we were a little bit confused why... Shirai had simultaneous number one contenders with Storm and Gonzalez, both looking like they were the top challengers, but Gonzalez being kind of shoehorned into the women's tag team division while Storm was getting the title opportunities. Now it makes complete sense why they did it that way. This should be the takeover match. It should be an incredible match. And as much as I love Io Shirai, I'm ready for her on the main roster and she should drop the title at takeover stand and deliver. So we'll get to that. We we will have an ultimate preview for takeover stand and deliver you know, in a month when the time is appropriate uh, and we'll do official predictions. But as of right now, I do see Gonzalez being the next NXT women's champion. And the third main event of NXT, the championship was on the line, the men's championship, Finn Balor defending against Adam Cole. Both guys cut passionate pre-taped promos during the episode, 
promoting the main event. As far as the match, Balor vertical suplex Cole into the steel ramp, but Cole came back strong. Balor dodged a Panama Sunrise, countering with a sling blade and a missile dropkick. Cole dodged a coup de gras and kept countering Balor into a crossface multiple times. Cole drilled Balor with the last shot, but the champion kicked out at the last second. Cole then hit Panama Sunrise, but again, only got a near fall. Balor avoided a last shot to the back of the head, which has notoriously been the extra finisher that Cole's needed. Uh, then he threw Cole outside the ring, and just then, Kyle O'Reilly appeared really menacing in the darkness, looking like a villain from like an 80s TV show with a cutoff black jean jacket uh, over a t-shirt. It was really funny. Um, but he looked pretty cool in the background. He distracted Cole and Balor hit a tope cone hero on him. Balor then stared down O'Reilly for a second and hit Cole with a 619 on the floor, rolled him into the ring and hit maybe the highest coup de gras that I can remember him hitting. It looked like he launched himself, but nailed Cole with it to pick up the win and retain the title. Uh, like the women's match, this also started slow. It picked up massively down the stretch and in the finish. Balor absolutely had to retain here. And O'Reilly appearing gave Cole an out for losing. Uh, it was quite well done also with O'Reilly showing up, but not actually touching Cole before the bell. He was there and Cole looked like he saw a ghost, but O'Reilly didn't actively interfere to force the finish and taint the victory for Balor. So I liked the way they did that a lot. After the match, O'Reilly entered the ring and Cole begged him to lay off. Cole then went for a low blow, but O'Reilly caught his arm and pulled off the Undisputed Era band. O'Reilly then went apeshit on Cole, screaming at him and trying to end his career as he kept shoving the referee away when he attempted to stop his beatdown of Cole. Referees eventually stopped him from delivering a spike DDT onto the steel steps. Balor was left alone in the ring, almost like a king, like watching these peasants fight underneath him, and I thought that was really cool. Uh, eventually, Cole and O'Reilly made their way to the back, and Bal the camera focuses on Balor. Suddenly, you kind of get a weird angle of Balor where he's really pushed to the left of the screen, and he says, what took you so long? The camera pans back to reveal Karrion Cross. Balor turns around, sees him. It's an epic shot. He gets right in his face. They start, start jawing at each other, and the show goes off the air. The thought was that we would wind up with Balor Cole O'Reilly in a triple threat match at whatever the WrestleMania takeover would be with Cross being saved for the next feud. That's obviously not what's happening. So clearly we're going to get Cole and O'Reilly in a grudge match rivalry type of showdown and Balor against Cross for the NXT title. And that's fine. Uh, the expectation has to be for Cross to win, which some may dislike. But if you actually sit back and think about it, Balor has had an exceptionally strong run as NXT champion. He's basically beaten everyone. Cole, O'Reilly, Dunn, those are big wins. I could see him possibly getting called back up to the main roster after WrestleMania. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, especially considering how strong his character is right now. They could really use someone like him over on Raw. Maybe not, maybe he'll stay in NXT, but it has been an incredible run for Finn Balor. This was... A great match. I would put it above 4.25 stars. So 4.25 to 4.5 in that range. The Io Shirai Tony Storm match was probably in the 4 to 4.25 range. The women's tag team title match was probably in the 4.25 to 4.5 range. So one episode of NXT, three matches that were four stars or better. 
I mean, and that, that's just the main event. That's just, those are just the main topics from this episode of NXT. There's a lot more that happened that we're all going to talk about right now. But if you just take that, that's takeover stuff. You add two matches to that, it's a takeover card. And we got that for free, not so much out of nowhere because we knew it was coming, but not a special episode of TV, not a branded episode, um, not even a huge amount of promotion. It was really two weeks for one match and one week for another. Plus they gave us those two huge announcements. So even if you stopped NXT there, it was a great episode. But let's talk about everything else that went down. Some good, some bad, you know, not all great, but it was all very interesting. Johnny Gargano pumped Austin Theory up to go after Dexter Loomis. Theory didn't buy into it until Gargano said Loomis insulted his abs. So he ripped off his shirt and went nuts. The way is incredible, guys. I don't need to keep repeating myself on this. At the end of the day, it's just... such good shit. Up next, Pete Dunne defeated Jake Atlas. Atlas dumped Dunne on his head. With a release German suplex, Dunn broke up the cartwheel DDT by taking out Atlas's arm, stomped on his head, and forced a submission by wrenching back his arm and fingers simultaneously. It was a good match and a good look for Dunn here. He's still getting built back up after losing to Finn Balor. Dunn grabbed the mic and said he's the best technical wrestler in the world, basically challenged anyone to test him on that. That's pretty interesting, right? Because internally, you have Timothy Thatcher, you have Tommaso Ciampa. Gargano too, but you know. Probably not going to go heel versus heel. And you think about what that challenge means and what type of match we might get coming out of that. And we've also talked extensively on the show on the WWE episode. What's Daniel Bryan going to do for WrestleMania week? And there's a lot of expectation that he could potentially be in a triple threat with Roman Reigns and Edge. We don't know that for sure. But if he's not in that match, I could see a scenario where after a couple weeks of Pete Dunne beating some people in NXT, Daniel Bryan pops up and says, yeah, man, it ain't you, it's me. And I'm willing to fight you for that at TakeOver. Now, is it likely that we're going to get Pete Dunne against Daniel Bryan at TakeOver? Probably not, no. Is it possible? I do think with this storyline, it's possible. So I don't want to get people's hopes up, but it is the first thought that kind of went through my head when I saw this. Just like I was mentioning with Bailey and the, The tweet segment, the first thought that went through my head was Becky Lynch, even though I don't think that's likely either, but I do think it's plausible. So we'll see what happens, but it is an interesting storyline, and I expect that he'll have a match against someone at TakeOver. I don't know who that will be, but I do think it'll be technical wrestling somehow, and I do think this is part of that storyline. Jordan Devlin from NXT UK cut a promo from what I think was the airport. It was tough to tell saying his travel ban has been lifted and he is ready to take care of fake champion Santos Escobar once and for all, and he will be in the United States next week. Escobar was furious backstage arguing with Regal, so it does seem like there's going to be a unification match soon. Hopefully they don't run it next week. They did not announce it for the show, which is good. Hopefully that's just a confrontation. It would make sense that they do it at TakeOver, right? That's the perfect spot for it. Escobar certainly needs to be the one to go over when all is said and done. And I think that's a fair expectation that the title remain in the United States. And it was really only in the UK. And obviously Devlin is Irish. It was only really over there uh, because he went home with it uh, before the pandemic and then got stuck. So that's just the reality of what's happening. Uh, Legato del Fantasma, the rest of the group, uh, fought the Grizzled Young Veterans in a tag team match. 
You knew there was no way going in. I thought there was no way going in. Legato would win when you saw the matchup. And I was disappointed because I keep saying that they need to get built up. But they surprised me. Uh, NXT did a distraction finish with a couple astronauts entering the ring, the, uh, sorry, ringside area. Everyone thinking it was Brazongo, but it was actually MSK. Legato rolled up GYV for the win. And then Wesley slammed, I think it was James Drake's hand, on the steel steps with his astronaut helmet. A little bit of payback for breaking his hand. Then Brizongo attacked Legato from behind in the ring and the faces all celebrated together. So it certainly looks like an eight-man tag team match is coming. The question is, when is Wesley recovered enough to actually compete in such a match? I don't know. Zia Lee fought Caden Carter in the second of her matches against this KC tag team. The match was only a couple minutes old when Casey Cantazaro, who was at ringside, broke a crutch over Lee's back and then started beating her with a second crutch, screaming that she took it too far. Boa came in to save Zaya and Casey swung the crutch at him, but he caught it. Then the Tian Sha leader closed her fist and Boa went towards Casey, but Carter saved her with the other crutch, breaking it over his back. It was a nice change of pace to see Casey kind of not be pathetic and Zaya to take a bit of a beating. And it was good to see Boa get involved as well, but now it's interesting. Where does this go when you have these two women and there's only Zia Lee competing right now? The leader of Tian Sha hasn't really done anything. Are they gonna have her wrestle soon? And if so, what's that gonna look like as a tag team? So lots of questions here, uh, but I continue to remain interested in it. So we'll see where it goes. Imperium was backstage uh, with a video promo calling out Timothy Thatcher with Marcel Bartel, reminding him of their history with Walter in Ringkampf. That was a small faction or group. I don't know how many people were in it. In WXW, which was a promotion owned by Walter, I believe in Germany, even though Walter's Austrian. Uh, Fabian Eichner said they would be willing to bring Tommaso Ciampa into the ranks of Imperium as well if Thatcher wanted. Later in the show, Ciampa told Thatcher he wasn't interested in joining them, but was interested in fighting not only them, but possibly NXT UK champion Walter. This was all very interesting. If we don't get a champion versus champion match, Balor-Walter, which is something that they had been building before the pandemic, a great secondary possibility would be Walter against Champa at TakeOver. That match would absolutely rule. Leon Ruff cut a promo by the lockers calling out Swerve, saying he's gonna hold him down next week just like he has NXT since joining. Not bad, short promo. LA Knight said he'll make his in-ring debut next week. Bronson Reed then attacked him during the promo for interfering with his match, so it's clear that's gonna be the match. Again, a situation where it feels like Bronson Reed should be getting built up, but you can't have LA Reed lose his debut match. So... Not sure I would have made that booking, but that's the direction they're going. And lastly, Zoe Knight got a promo video package where she talked about her love for wrestling, why she's happy to be in NXT. It was pretty good. This is what I've wanted WWE to do with Rhea Ripley ahead of her debut on Raw. I've said it numerous times. It's one thing to do a quick highlight package, but allow the superstar to tell you about themselves. Allow them to take you a little bit into their mindset and develop their character before they debut on screen. You have numerous options when you debut someone. It can be a complete surprise. You can promote it one week out with a coming soon, a little bit video package, and then you tell their story after they debut, or you run vignettes and you tell their story before they debut if it's an extended period of time that they won't be on TV. And they aren't really doing any of those things with Rhea Ripley. They're just showing the same video package over and over again, multiple weeks with coming soon. If I've said it once, I've said it a million times. 
She should have debuted after the Royal Rumble. This entire period of time has been wasted. They need to now at least put more effort into her debut if it's going to happen after WrestleMania. So that's NXT, a great show. I mentioned that NXT gave us two of the best women's matches of the year. That's because NXT gave us, to date, whatever day I'm taping this, March 11th, 2021, the best women's match of the year came from NXT UK. We had Kaylee Ray defending her title against Miko Satamora. Miko got an early STF, then kicked the shit out of Ray, who came back with a draping DDT off the ring apron outside. Miko came back with a thunderous Death Valley bomb on the ring apron and a cartwheel kick. Ray came back with a tornado DDT and the Koji clutch, but Satamora broke with the ropes. Miko hit another Death Valley bomb in the middle of the ring for a 2.8 count, but got a frog splash countered with double knees. Ray then hit her gory bomb right after it, but didn't cover immediately for a near fall. Ray missed a diving senton, but blocked Miko's scorpion kick. Satamora reversed a gory bomb into an insane Canadian destroyer. There were numerous additional finisher counters until Ray finally hit a second gory bomb for the win in an absolutely insane match. Kaylee Ray bowed to Michael Satamora after the entire thing was over. It was an iconic fight. Early women's match of the year, as I said, without a question. It's also an overall match of the year candidate. So if you have WWE Network and you don't watch NXT UK, and I don't normally, sometimes I look for certain matches here and there, but I don't watch weekly, appointment television. Go watch NXT UK, the main event, Kaylee Ray against Miko Satamora. I was sure the title was going to change hands here. It was a massive elevation for Ray with a huge win over an absolute legend. I still want Miko Satamora to win the title someday soon. But man, this was a great, great match that you need to go out of your way to see. So a great addition of NXT, a great match on NXT UK. Let us move to AEW Dynamite, where there was the fallout from Revolution to contend with, along with a lot of other things that happened on the show. So let's first talk about the fallout from Revolution, which was really more than it should have been, in my opinion, centered on the non-explosion at the end of that pay-per-view. So in the, I think it was the second segment on the show, you had John Moxley and Eddie Kingston drinking liquor in front of a fire. When Kingston said his selling of the shitty explosion was a flashback to when he nearly got sent to Rikers Island. Then Mox played into the storyline of Kenny Omega being the one at fault for the shitty explosion by joking about Acme, like from the Looney Tunes cartoons, and Impact being the ones who paid for the bomb. So it looks like Mox isn't being written off after all, which is cool. You know, I'm glad to keep seeing him on TV. And I credit two of the best promo guys in the business for really trying here. They did the best they could to make this like tongue-in-cheek, funny, but also serious at the same time. The promos, the, the, the way they were delivered was very good. The setting was good. They looked awesome together as rekindled friends. In terms of the actual storyline trying to save the mess up, that was a failure. But they did the best they could with what they had to work with, but they couldn't even save how bad that was from Revolution. So I thought that was going to be the last time it was mentioned. It was not. Later in the show, we had Kenny Omega, Don Callis, and the Good Brothers interrupt Tony Schiavone, who was set to introduce Christian Cage. They talked about the sparklers and said they won't confirm or deny whether they're to blame, but they were happy that the fans were upset. So almost playing into like, and WWE does this a lot, 
where they take something kayfabe and try to make it somewhat reality to say, hey, yeah, you got worked. That was our plan all along. That wasn't your plan. Okay. And that was stupid. All they really needed to do was drop it after the Mox and Kingston promo. But Callus kept going on and on about it. And it was mind numbing. I'm not sure who made that decision, but it was ridiculous. Kingston came out and Callus made fun of him for covering Mox and getting fired previously at Impact. Then the countdown hit again, just like it did at Revolution. Again, something that they just, they didn't need to keep calling back to it. It was too much. Uh, And Omega yelled for Callus to cover him. He dropped onto the canvas and 69 him. He literally said on the mic, 69 me, Don, which I lost it. That was freaking hysterical that he said that. Uh, But Callus covered him and they did get into a 69 position. It was very funny, them making fun of Kingston like that. So that was good. But everything that preceded it was just really unnecessary. Omega got in Kingston's face and gave him a free shot. So Kingston took it. Uh, Then he started getting beat down by all the guys. Mox came out to make the save and they cleared out the Good Brothers. That's going to be a tag team match for next week. Makes a ton of sense. Very excited for that match. Christian came out and he really made another muted entrance. It's like, you know, he does the thing where he puts his hand over his eyes so he can see all the peeps, but like no one was really cheering for him. So it was kind of weird. Uh, But he comes out uh, and commentary tried to make it a huge deal. Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone were going nuts but the crowd was not reacting. Christian walked to Omega and refused to shake his hand. He dodged a swing from Omega. Callus pulled the champion out of the ring and Christian grabbed the AEW title. So I guess he's claiming that he wants a shot at the crown. Uh, This is AEW with the ranking system and all the talk about competition and earning championship opportunities. And if they put Christian right in a title match in the next couple of weeks because... He was angry that Omega interrupted his segment. That's not great. You know, this wasn't necessarily a bad segment, but it was underwhelming given the profile of Moxley Kingston, Omega, the Good Brothers, Don Callis, and Christian. You're, you're expecting something that's going to blow you out of the water. This didn't really do it. I'm more, way more excited for the tag team match next week than a possible Omega-Christian match, even though I know that'll be a great wrestling match. But from a storyline standpoint, It doesn't really make any sense. There's no reason for it to happen. Also, we still don't really have Christian like saying anything, right? You want him to talk. AEW keeps promoting Christian and Sting previously talking on Dynamite. They're going to do it every week. Christian's going to be on Dynamite next week. Sting's going to be on Dynamite next week. And then they don't say shit. So either have them on the program doing something different or don't promote that they're going to speak. Just do something else. It's, It's very repetitive and very weird. Now, all of that happened. That was really the fallout from Revolution. But the segment of the night, the biggest storyline of the night, actually occurred in the main event of the show. And that was the Inner Circle War Council. I like that AEW went with a storyline in the ring instead of a match. It's so good to switch things up like that. And this felt different when I was watching the show, knowing this was the last thing. So Inner Circle comes out. Wardlow is not there. Chris Jericho suggested that the faction may need to add a member, while MJF said he actually thought someone should be let go. That's how they will fix it. Sammy Guevara's music hit, and he played hidden camera footage of MJF getting Santana and Ortiz and Jake Hager to agree that it was time to kick Jericho out. So I just thought this all happened really quick. Um, Maybe it should have been a little bit more drawn out. Think back to the Festival of Friendship in WWE with Jericho and Owens. That was developing over 
four or five minutes in the ring, and then it paid off. This just got right to it. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I just think it may have been a little bit better if they did it that way. But anyway, the footage shows MJF getting Santana, Ortiz, and Hager to agree that it's time to kick Jericho out of the group. And then in the ring, all those guys feigned like they were going to attack Jericho, but instead they turned around on MJF. Uh, Jericho basically cut a quick promo on MJF's face, like, how stupid are you? We, we text each other all the time. And that's fine, but if that was the case, why wouldn't they have just handled this previously? Like, why did they wait for a big in-ring segment for it to happen? But regardless, um, they turned it around on him and they were honing in on MJF in the corner. MJF starts begging to for them not to attack him and then surprises Jericho by revealing that he has his own faction. Out of nowhere, Wardlow, FTR, and Sean Spears come down to the ring and give a relatively tepid beatdown of Inner Circle with MJF sitting on the top turnbuckle watching the entire thing transpire. They handcuffed Santana and Ortiz while Tully Blanchard hit a double spike pile driver. It ended with MJF hitting Jericho with the dynamite diamond ring and then his bat twice before the group carried him to the stage where Wardlow powerbombed Jericho through a gimmick table that was below the stage. So I didn't necessarily love the execution, but the storyline is fantastic because MJF has once again proven to be everything he claims, smarter and more cunning than everyone else in AEW. He outsmarted and outplayed Cody. And now he's done the exact same thing to Chris Jericho. And he don't forget, he nearly did it to John Moxley as well. So this is a guy who is really the top heel in the company. And he always says that he's 24, 25 years old, and they are treating him and booking him like he's a big deal. And that's why he feels like a big deal. I'm not sure about the long-term success of this faction, the new faction, but I love when storylines do not play out as expected and when there's a twist at the end. MJF continues to be built strong as a legitimate mastermind, and he's benefited maybe more than anyone else in AEW right now from AEW's long-term storytelling. I would not be surprised if this group ends up being called Revelation, which has a connotation with the Four Horsemen in the Bible, the Book of Revelations. Also, this change, this storyline, this revelation uh, makes the inner circle faces, which was necessary. We wanted that change because people want to cheer and root for Jericho. They want to cheer and root for Sammy. And they definitely want to cheer and root for Santana and Ortiz. So this was a huge victory for me in storyline, in storytelling, in long-term booking, and in character development for MJF, even though I didn't necessarily love the execution of it. Got a DM slide from Sean Riley at Sean, that's with a U, M, Riley. End of Dynamite, unreal, best TV wrestling moment since the pipe bomb. So that's what Sean believes. And if you feel that way, I am not going to disagree with you. People like different stuff. I don't think that is anywhere close to a pipe bomb And it's also forgetting a lot of awesome things that's happened on TV, AEW, NXT, and even WWE. I mean, the Becky Lynch bloody nose incident with Nia Jax on the Survivor Series women's match build, that was unreal. That was incredible. I remember people were going insane about that moment. The stuff that's happened recently with Roman Reigns, uh, Drew McIntyre taking out Brock Lesnar with three 
kicks, Claymore kicks in one episode. I'm not even really thinking. I'm talking about this extemporaneously off the top of my head. There have been other great things that have happened in AEW, shocking things. Omega, the way he beat Moxley uh, just a couple weeks ago was awesome. NXT has been great. So no, I don't think this is the best TV moment since the pipe bomb. Not anywhere near that, actually. But if you liked it, then that's great. I thought it was masterful storytelling and AEW did a great job. There's a nitpick that you can maybe make. Why would MJF have that group ready if he thought the inner circle was gonna turn and go with him? That you could maybe point out, Um, but that's minor. And I think it's very easy to look past that. So very strong main event segment and, you know, interesting stuff that happened for the bigger storylines on Dynamite. Let's talk about everything else on the show. Ray Phoenix fought Matt Jackson in the opener. Phoenix was insane as usual, but then the match really slowed down for like a 10 minute period of time. Phoenix did a cool move where he wrapped Matt around his back and slammed him. He missed a tightrope penalty kick. Matt capitalized with an ultimate destroyer inside and then a Canadian destroyer outside. Phoenix kicked out after a long elbow drop. There were a bunch of counters and no sold kicks. Phoenix finally countered a tombstone into a sit-down tombstone for the win. The right person went over, finally Phoenix getting a clean win like that in a great match, and it further set up the upcoming tag team title defense. Strong opening to the show. Loved it. Sting came out again for an interview with Tony Schiavone. Again, can we please just let this guy walk out on his own and grab a microphone for a change? I don't need Tony Schiavone. It's... Sting or whatever, however he announces Sting, it is so overplayed because they do it every week live on mic and on commentary. Um, and, and not only that, every time Tony Schiavone says Sting's name on commentary, he goes, Sting or whatever, however he says it, it sounds ridiculous. I'm sick of it. No more Tony Schiavone and Sting. Just give me Sting with a microphone and let him actually cut a promo. He did get a chance to speak this time for a second. He put over Darby Allen until he was quickly interrupted, of course, by Lance Archer and Jake Roberts. Jake the Snake came out in a snakeskin tracksuit that was absolutely incredible. Archer half-talked to Sting and half-talked to the crowd and, and everyone else in AEW, and then he just left. And then Sting just left. <laughs> Nothing else happened. I'd love one week without Sting or with something involving Sting that's totally different. Please give me anything that's different regarding Sting. I'm so sick of it. The cinematic match was great. They did not capitalize on it whatsoever with Sting. Cody fought a jobber. They gave his name, but I did miss it while watching. Cody had some slick new red and white tights that were pretty cool. He won in about a minute with the figure four leg lock. Tony Schiavone came out for his second interview of the night uh, and asked him about his injured shoulder and Cody just started rambling about it. Then Penta El Zero M came out really sharp looking in a suit. There is no better look in all of wrestling than a luchador who wears a mask wearing a suit. It's just the dichotomy, the, the contrast, not dichotomy is the wrong word, the contrast of a luchador mask, but wearing a suit, uh, a formal setting, but wearing a mask, it's, it's very, very cool. It's an awesome look and Penta looked like a million bucks. He came out with a translator and acted heel saying Cody was lucky that Penta didn't hurt his arm more or he wouldn't be able to pick up his newborn baby girl. Cody went nuts and tried to attack Penta. It was weird that he said newborn, the kid's not born yet, but I digress. For two guys who should be among the top in the company, I felt this segment was slow and boring. It was also relatively mediocre. However, 
I love the idea of a match between them. And I think Penta turning extreme heel by taking Cody out for good is a great booking because we've been waiting for this guy to get an actual push. It seems like Penta is on his way to a singles push and it feels like Ray Phoenix and Pac, there's a good chance they could take those tag team titles off the Young Bucks. So after 18 months of these guys kind of being forgotten about, it seems like Ray Phoenix and Penta are getting the push they deserve as either main eventers or just top guys that AEW is counting on. And it's absolutely great to see. That match, by the way, Cody and Penta is happening next week, and that's going to be a great match. We had a six-woman tag team match, Thunder Rosa, Hikaru Shida, and Ryo Mezunami against Britt Baker, Nyla Rose, and Maki Ito. Ito was hysterical. There were two really funny moments on NXT, on uh, AEW this week. The first was Omega, as I mentioned earlier. The second was this. She was singing her entrance theme, and the other five women start brawling, but like she was staying in business for herself, right? She finished the theme while they were all beating each other. It was really damn funny. Uh, it was the same late spot in the card for the women's match with the double commercial break. There was one of those blatant outside splash spots where five women literally were just standing there looking up into the sky, waiting for Thunder Rosa to do like a corkscrew or a tornado. Uh, and she eventually caught Ito for the victory. I thought it was a horrible match. Just a terrible wrestling match, terrible women's match. Nothing happened. It was short. There was no reason to really care about it. Baker attacked Rosa after the match with a crush and put her in the lockjaw as Rebel grabbed the crutch and grated it on her head. And then Vicky Guerrero, for some reason, started like lightly kicking and punching uh, Thunder Rosa. AEW later announced Rosa against Baker will main event Dynamite next week in a lights out match. It's great that the women are finally getting the spot after about 18 months. And this is definitely the right match for that opportunity. So while this week's women's match, and I say women's match because again, they only give you one per show. While this week's match largely sucked, I'm not gonna go 0.0 here because they're booking a main event match next week. It's what I've been asking them to do. And it's the right feud. Thunder Rosa against Britt Baker. Up next, the TNT Championship, Darby Allen against Scorpio Sky. Sky was aggressive throughout. Knocked Darby out with a big right hand before kicking out of a code red. He threw Darby backwards into a turnbuckle and caught a tope suicida with a cutter outside the ring for a near fall. Sky then caught Darby Allen falling in the coffin drop into a sit-down powerbomb. Huge, awesome move for another near fall. Great spot. Uh, Allen countered the TKO with an inside cradle and he picked up the win. He went to pat Sky on the back, but Sky turned heel and appropriately locked in a heel hook. Uh, Darby screamed as four referees were unable to separate them. Sky looked happy with his turn, but then he weirdly started licking his teeth. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Super creepy and weird. Like, I don't know why he did that. It made no sense whatsoever. Still, really good match that should have stood out on the show. If it wasn't for that great Phoenix Matt Jackson opener, this would have been the best match on the show. So two really good matches. I think the Phoenix Matt Jackson one is probably in the four-star range. This one, 3.5, 3.75, something like that, but definitely a damn good match that you should see. And I am curious about this heel turn. You know, the assumption is he'll get another match against Darby Allen sooner than later. Will they actually make a title change? I think it'd be great to see Scorpio Sky as champion, but there's just so many guys on this roster. We say it all the time and so few titles. And it's not that they need to inject more titles, but if they're going to have this second show, they may want to think about like an elevation title for the dark show. 
And maybe if they do another hour of AEW on TV, they may want to think about adding a fourth title, a light heavyweight championship, a trios title, just something else that can get prestige on these guys. Because if you don't have Sky win the title here, he's dead in the water. If you have Darby lose the title, unless he's going to go after the main championship, he has nothing else to really do because he was just TNT champion. So that is what I would be curious about seeing. Adam McMongle at Adam Mc314. He writes in, apparently Darby can't get a convincing win in a title match. He won with a backslide, I think, retained with a roll-up, and now won this match with a small package. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for that, but he was hitting a ton of offense in the match. So if you're hitting a ton of offense and breaking the guy down, and then you win with a pinning combination, I think it's okay. A roll-up is way more offensive to me than a small package or a backslide. And Darby being able to have that as part of his repertoire, they're kind of selling that he can win matches that way, that he's creative in pinning combinations. So I'm okay with it. That didn't really bother me. But if it keeps continuing, it could, maybe. Let's put it that way. Uh, Hangman Adam Page was riding a lawnmower on turf for some reason when Dark Order jumped on and they all went for ice cream. He was spending Matt Hardy's money. Later, Hardy told Private Party that he signed Butcher, Blade, and Bunny. He set his sights on Dark Order. I don't really have a take on this. I guess it was fine. It is weird that Butcher, Blade, and Bunny can't just exist on their own, though. They jump from, I forgot who they worked with initially, but when they first debuted, they were working with a team. Then they started working with Eddie Kingston and Penta and Phoenix, and now they have to go with Matt Hardy. Like, why can't these guys and Bunny just exist on their own? That's kind of weird. Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor were in an arcade. Chuck asked for one more match and said he'll be Miro's butler again if they lose. They want to put video games around ringside. I honestly just can't believe the Revolution match isn't the end of this feud. And they're not only going back to another match, they're going back to the video game bullshit where this all started. It seems like they're doing this purposely for me to hate it. I can't anymore with this feud. I was hoping not to give a single negative sound drop on this entire show, but I can't. This deserves it. Zero point zero. Point zero. It gets two. That's how much I hate it. And then lastly, Ethan Page against Lee Johnson. There were extremely strange audio issues during this match. It sounded like a recording of the arena audio or live arena audio from an NBA game was playing. You heard defense, crowd chants, Marvin Gaye, uh, arena announcements and shit all over the match and commentary. 100% TNT's fault, not AEW's fault because they probably have the audio being mixed from a central location in Atlanta. They also do NBA TV. There was a game going on at the same time. It lasted the entire match. Page hit Ego's Edge, which is a razor's edge that he uses. Uh, for a forgettable match victory, even though the audio issues happened, it would have been forgettable even without them. So nothing to write home about. It sucks that Ethan Page was their big debut, one of their big debuts at Revolution, and he didn't really get to capitalize on Dynamite. Apparently, Tony Khan uploaded the match commercial free, so you can watch it on YouTube or something like that. But I mean, it wasn't good anyway. So yeah. So coming out of Wednesday night, we had an Epic, truly epic, not exaggerating edition of NXT and a very good episode of AEW. I did think that the main event with the Inner Circle was the standout of the entire show, along with that Ray Phoenix and Matt Jackson match. That was very good. The other stuff was really give or take. There were many positives in there, but definitely a lot of things that could have been 
done differently slash better. Now, before we get out of today's show, I mentioned early in the opener that I got a number of DMs asking me about my old newsletter that I mentioned. Again, last episode or last week, I don't remember. So let me read the DM from Billy H at Billy Habibi 44. I did that in opposite order. He said, hey, Silver King, recently you mentioned your newsletter you had as a kid growing up. Wondering if you'd be willing to share some more about it on an upcoming podcast. Like, how did you start it? And he has a bunch of questions, so I'll go through his questions. How did I start it? Well, the newsletter was called Top Rope Newsletter. And, you know, I don't know if you guys listening were getting wrestling newsletters back in the day, but, you know, Dave Meltzer had the Wrestling Observer. It was very popular. And there were some online-only newsletters. And when I read them, I was really into wrestling. You know, this is right after I got my computer, my first computer. Um, they weren't really good. Now, I don't mean they weren't good writing-wise. They weren't just, they didn't really give you any good information. So I noticed that through AOL chat rooms, I used America Online and signed up, you know, with the dial-up shit that we all used to have. Through AOL chat rooms, people would always advertise newsletters and promote websites and things like that. And I kind of felt like even at a very young age, we're talking, I don't remember if I started the newsletter. I don't remember the exact year. I'd have to go back and really go into my archives and look. I don't remember if it was in eighth grade or if it was early in high school, but I think it was like eighth grade when I started the newsletter. Um, so clear, I'm not, I'm no professional. I'm not a journalist. I have nothing at the time going for me, right? I'm just an eighth grader who really watches and loves wrestling. But I felt like I had a really good handle on the industry. And I was reading a lot of those, um, you know, dirt sheets at the time. And I also would go to a lot of independent shows throughout South Florida with one of my friends, Mike. And in doing so, I got to meet Dusty Rhodes and actually got an opportunity to, I didn't train at his facility, but I was in the ring at his facility, like taking a couple bumps while we interviewed him for a uh, high school project. This was a couple years later in high school. But uh, so I met, went to these shows. I met a lot of local independent wrestlers. I met local journalists. And as I started making connections, I started finding some things out. They weren't huge breaking news. I wasn't breaking t- the storylines that like guys like Dave Meltzer were back in that day. Or um, I forget some of the other guys who were really big. Mike, a- uh, not Mike Apter, Bill Apter, uh, guys like that. Uh, So I wasn't breaking huge stories, but I got a lot of information. And so I decided to start doing a newsletter and it quickly took off. I would advertise it in the AOL rooms and people started subscribing. So that is how I came up with deciding to do it. The name Top Rope Newsletter uh, just was something I was always interested in. Like I liked how it sounded. So that's how I came up with it. I was, you know, doodling and coming up with names. Hey, if I ever did this, this is what it would be called. And that's what I had come up with at the time. So question two, how old were you? I said eighth grade or so. How long did you have it? And how many subscribers did you have and how did they find you? So I had it from, let's say eighth grade. That's my guess is when I started through my senior year of high school into that summer. Once I graduated high school and I knew I was going to the University of Florida, I just knew I wouldn't have time for it. I was also, I wasn't losing interest in wrestling, but When you go to college um, and you go to a university like Florida, there's a lot of other things that are really, really interesting, such as women and alcohol and partying and 
going to football games and all those great things that come with being in college. So the summer ahead of my freshman year of college, I slowly phased it out. And I actually did something really bad in that I never sent like a final issue. I never told people this is the final issue. Thank you all for subscribing, any of that type of stuff. I just stopped it. Now I should clarify, this was a free newsletter and it was sent via email. So it's not like people were getting this at their houses or they were paying me, nothing like that was happening. Uh, But it was a free online dirt sheet and it was extremely popular. I had, at the time I ended it, around 60,000 subscribers. Now, some of those were, of course, dead email addresses. That's just how it works. But it was probably 50 to 60,000 people reading the newsletter. And one of the biggest mistakes I've made in my entire life is a year prior to me ending the newsletter, I got an offer from someone to buy it for like somewhere between 30 to $50,000. At the time, emails were a huge commodity and you could get about a dollar per email address from some certain companies. But my thought was, I'm building this into a business. Why am I gonna do that, et cetera? In that year that followed, that market basically tanked. And I I think I found out that it would be like $7,000 or $10,000 if I was to sell it. And I kind of said to myself at the time, which even now looking back is stupider. I should have still done it at the time. Um, I feel like I'd be selling people out to sell them for seven grand. Now, I should have done it because I was going to college and I could have had some money in my pocket, but I didn't actually do it. So ultimately the newsletter kind of just fizzled and stopped existing. I had a newsletter as well. It was Top Rope Pub for publications. That was the name of my company, uh, Top Rope Publications. I would do live coverage of wrestling pay-per-views, text coverage. And I used to get cease and desist letters from WWE about that. So I had also gotten those letters during my senior year of high school. So I'm getting C&Ds from WWE. I'm going to college. Um, I'm getting better with women. Uh, So all of these things are happening simultaneously. And I'm just like, man, why is this worth my effort? And why am I still doing this? So ultimately I closed it. You're also asking what companies did I cover? Uh, WWE and WCW, that was it. And ECW as well. WWE, WCW, and ECW. Uh, Did you just recap what was going on in wrestling or did you include your own thoughts? Uh, Show recaps, thoughts, news, and I did aggregate news from other people as well. So it was all in there. So you said you thought you'd be, it would be interesting to hear about it. So I hope you found what I just said interesting. Ultimately, I did uh, close the newsletter. I closed the website. I stopped watching wrestling. Um, My freshman and sophomore years of college, I had a tradition where I always watched the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, even those first two years with a good buddy of mine, Jordan, who I went to college with. And then junior year of college, when I was in the fraternity house, but had my own room for the first time, I paid for a DVR. And I started DVRing Raw and SmackDown again. And started watching Raw and SmackDown. And next thing I knew, I was fully into it. I would get the pay-per-views. We would usually buy them either as a fraternity house or I'd go somewhere to watch them. Uh, And I was back into wrestling. So I took about a two-year absence in... 2002 to 2004, that range of time, I did not watch WWE. I've since gone back and kind of caught up on some storylines. I tried to watch every episode of Raw and SmackDown along with every pay-per-view from those years. But at some point, it just became too much of an effort. And WWE Network, even now, 
doesn't make it easy because you have to go back and forth between the shows and you have to remember which one you were on. When I was doing it with WWE Network, I was using like a PS4 and the interface was terrible. Now with WWE Network, and I know it's gonna switch to Peacock soon, but now it at least shows you the last show that you watched. That, you know, it shows you the progress bar so you know that you completed it. But back then it didn't have that when I started trying to do this. So I gave up. I don't think I'm ever gonna go back and watch those years I missed. The gist of it is John Cena was really big and JBL was a heel. And, you know, Eddie Guerrero beat Brock Lesnar for the title at some point. Those are all moments and things I've seen on documentaries or the pay-per-views that I've watched. I've seen a lot of these big moments. But I think to go back and watch the day-to-day shows would probably be a little bit of a waste of time. So that is the history of the Silver King uh, in professional wrestling with my old newsletter, Top Rope Newsletter. If you guys are legitimately interested more about it, I can probably go back into my old computer and find screenshots of the website, screenshots of what the newsletter looked like. It was crazy. Um, It was really old school internet. Like I got my first computer when I was in middle school. Like a lot of people did. That's when computers were, personal computers were first becoming a big deal. It was a desktop with a massively huge monitor that weighed probably a hundred pounds. And I remember the first time I ever signed onto the internet was like the free trial with Yahoo. And then I got the free trial for AOL. And once you got into AOL chat rooms, wrestling chat rooms were enormous. So that's how I really started getting into the online wrestling community, the internet wrestling community, I should say, the IWC. And really, I did that with AOL in the newsletter. But once I got back into wrestling in 2004, from 2004 all the way until like 2010 or 2011, I never looked at anything online. And even those next couple of years following that, I didn't really look at a lot of things online. It was really right when I started getting into uh, wrestling with CBS Sports, when I started covering it for the website, that's when I started like checking out what Reddit is and actually checking out some of Dave Meltzer's reporting like again in a real way. And that's when I started feeding back into it. A couple years later, we hired Brian Campbell and we had the In This Corner podcast, then the State of Combat podcast, and now the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So that is the Silver King story about his online wrestling history. I should also mention at some point, I wrote uh, wrestling stories for the Miami Herald down here in South Florida. And I did some other things as well, but that's other stories for other days. So if you guys are interested in more, I can certainly uh, tell more next week or at another time. I can answer your questions through DM or through tweet, but I hope that was interesting. And if it wasn't, I just wasted about 10 minutes of your time and you got to hear about something you didn't care about, but hopefully you did. So that's it. Long show today, uh, talking NXT, NXT UK, AEW, and Top Rope Newsletter, the history of the Silver King. I hope you enjoyed today's show. We will be back on Tuesday with our WWE show, which will also serve as an ultimate preview for Fastlane. We'll come back on Thursday to talk all things NXT and AEW. And I should mention on that WWE show, we will also give our projected WrestleMania 37 cards as well. We've promised it for weeks. We're finally going to deliver it on Tuesday. So that's what's ahead in the world of Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Over cast. Do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and drop a five-star rating and review. As I said, it's been a long show. The Silver King's tired. So that's it. Cutting it off. I'm going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.